Welcome to another edition of Valley Voices, featuring an interview recorded in December of 2021 with Suzanne Roy, Executive Director of the American Wild Horse Campaign, on the 50th anniversary of the Wild Free Roaming Horses and Burrows Act. Thanks very much, Suzanne, for joining me today. Um, 50 years ago this month, the Wild Free Roaming Horses and Burrows Act was passed. At the time, wild horses were being rounded up and sold to pet food companies or used for ranching purposes. Um, Anybody was doing this. It was called mustanging, as you know. Talk briefly about what happened in order for the herds to become federally protected animals. Well, you're right. Um, What was happening in the um, 40s, 50s, 60s, uh, was some real brutality when it came to wild horses. You had mostly ranchers going out uh, using aircraft to round up wild horses and cart them off to the slaughter factories. And a lot of them ended up as dog food. And as people learned about it, uh, there was growing concern. In the 50s, there was a famous movie with Marilyn Monroe called The Misfits that profiled this mistreatment of the wild horses. Um, But it wasn't until a woman named Velma Johnston, her nickname was Wild Horse Annie, got involved, that this public concern was really galvanized into a national movement that led to the passage of the Wild Free Roaming Horses and Burrows Act. And it was signed into law this month by then-President Richard Nixon. Uh, Velma Johnston was a secretary in Reno who just one day on her way to work came upon a trailer full of horses uh, with blood coming out of the back. And she followed that trailer, unraveled what was happening to those horses, and it changed her life and started a national movement. And so it's quite a remarkable story of one woman and the difference she made for our nation's wild horses and burrows. It was one of the first environmental laws passed in the 1970s. It was before even the Endangered Species Act, Clean Water Act, etc. And it conveyed on wild horses and burrows the same level of protections that the American bald eagle was given under federal law as a defining national symbol for our country. Fifty years later... The Mustangs and Burroughs are still here. But talk about what protection has looked like over the past five decades. Yeah, well, the promise of the Wild Free Roaming Horses and Burroughs Act to protect these animals from capture, branding, harassment, and death remains unfulfilled. The agency put in charge of managing the horses, the Bureau of Land Management, has essentially turned a wildlife protection statute on its head and implemented it as though it was a pest control service for the livestock industry. So now instead of private ranchers rounding up the horses and carting them off the range, we have the federal government doing so. And for 50 years, this agency has mismanaged the Wild Horse and Burrow Program focusing almost entirely on ways to get these animals off the land instead of focusing on 
the intent of the law, which was to protect them on the public lands and humanely manage them there. So it's a real sad story for those of us who care about wild horses and burrows of a wonderful movement that led to a seminal law, but it's a promise that remains unfulfilled for uh, protection of wild horses and burrows. I guess I'm wondering if you would go so far as to say what's happening now with wild horses could be considered government-sanctioned mustanging. It is. It's hard to find a difference in terms of the practices. Using aircraft to stampede wild horses out of their homes on our public lands and into traps, loading them onto trailers, and carting them off to holding facilities. Now, ostensibly, many of those horses are put up for adoption and adopted. Uh, Many are sent to long-term holding pastures. But what we're finding is that far too many of these horses, actually truckloads of wild horses and burros, are being sent into the slaughter pipeline right now through a government cash incentive program for adoption. And so, you know, the intent to stop the slaughter of these animals has not been fulfilled either because they're going to slaughter. And when we look back over the history of the BLM managing this program, there have been slaughter scandals every decade in the last 50 years where the BLM has been uncovered uh, for selling the horses to slaughter, either directly or indirectly. And so that's never stopped. And so that is just another piece of the promise unfulfilled. Well, it seems that the Wild Free Roaming Horses and Burrows Act, you can either say it's been watered down or it's dying uh, death by a thousand cuts, Uh, Beginning with the Federal Land Policy Management Act, or FLIPMA, which was passed in 1976, and the Public Rangeland Improvement Act, or PREA. Can you talk about how those particular pieces of legislation changed the Wild Horse and Burrow Act? Yeah, I mean, they really implemented provisions that changed it into a, a control statute. And undermine the protection intent of the original law. And so these things were added like appropriate management level and keeping the populations below the appropriate management level. They put more teeth into all of that. Essentially, these amendments turned the law into a control statute that increased the agency's ability to remove horses from the range. You have to remember then in 2004, it was amended again to allow for the sale without limitation on slaughter of older horses and horses who had been put up for adoption three times and um, not adopted. That was called the Burns Um, Amendment, wasn't it? That was called the Burns Amendment, and that was an amendment you know, added to a thousand plus page appropriations bill in the middle of the night, voted through, no one knew what they were voting on. And it passed and it amended the law. It was sort of the icing on the cake when it came to the weakening of the law. And all of these efforts to weaken the law were implemented on behalf of the livestock industry, right? As a result of the lobbying of the livestock industry. And it has significantly weakened the law and the protections that are given to the horses. 
Can you talk about the path forward? This is something that I've been hearing mm-hmm. a lot about recently, uh, and I'm not quite sure what that is. What is the path forward? Well, the path forward was a, a deal cut by the uh, livestock industry, the Cattlemen's Association, the Farm Bureau, and some of the big humane organizations, the Humane Society of the United States, the ASPCA, and a wild horse sanctuary called Return to Freedom. And essentially, it was a, a quote-unquote compromise where they agreed uh, to the removal of, I believe it's 130,000 wild horses from the range over the next 10 years. That's more than exists today, many more than exists today. And the idea was that these horses would be put in pastures, holding facilities, you know, um, sanctuaries, and that the BLM, after removing these horses, would also use fertility control, right? But the failure of that compromise was, you know, a compromise is when both sides get concessions. And the failure of that compromise was getting anything for the horses in terms of addressing these low population limits that have been imposed on wild populations, right? So these groups agreed to these massive removal numbers without any concession from the other side that would say, okay, we're going to remove horses, but we're also going to allow more horses to continue to live on the range. There was nothing in it for the horses. And there was a vague promise of, yeah, we'll use fertility control, but nothing in the agreement uh, was required. It was basically lip service to fertility control. And that's something the American Wild Horse Campaign was really upset about, frankly. And we were very vocal in our opposition to this because we knew that this endorsement by these organizations of this mass removal scheme for wild horses would result in disaster and slaughter of these these animals. And that's exactly what's happening But unfortunately, they used this compromise to lobby for funding in Congress to fund this mass removal plan. So you actually had the Humane Society, the ASCCA, and Return to Freedom lobbying Congress for funds to underwrite the mass removal of horses from the land. Now, they were asking for fertility control to accompany removals. So that over the long term, removals could be reduced or eliminated, but they failed in getting any requirement for the BLM to use fertility control. So what we're seeing right now is what we knew would happen, we predicted would happen, which is the BLM is putting all of its money into removing horses from the range. We have unprecedented numbers of wild horses being removed from the range. The holding population is skyrocketing. We're almost at 60,000 horses and burrows in holding. Um, 2022 will probably be the year that we have more horses in holding facilities than are left free on the range. Um, And this is all happening because of funding that was allocated by Congress and which those groups supported 
to underwrite the mass removal. So it's been a real setback for the wild horse advocacy community in terms of the work that's been building over the years to reform this program away from this mass removal system. Yeah, it's tragic. I don't know if you've seen any of Carol Walker's photographs, uh, as you may know. She's been uh, witnessing a lot of the roundups, uh, particularly in northern Colorado and Wyoming, southwest Uh Wyoming. And um, she recently posted a photograph of a lone stallion that was released. Um, The BLM, on some of these roundups uh, recently, Sandwash and I think maybe Adobe Town, some of the southwestern Wyoming roundups, they have been releasing uh, some stallions and some mares back to the range. And the stallions are not gelded, but the mares have been darted with fertility control. But anyway, this one stallion... I don't know if he was released by himself, but he's out there in the picture. I mean, it it's heartbreaking because he's released yeah. out on the range. He's not released with any, like, his buddies, or I don't know if they're his buddies, but other right. horses, other stallions, or other mares. And the family that he had, his mare and um, the foals, are gone. And so here's right. this horse right. being released onto a giant range, hundreds of thousands of acres, by himself. And I'm wondering, is there any way that you can talk about how maybe that horse will survive? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to know. I mean, it really highlights the heartless nature of the current uh, management approach, right? We know wild horses are these incredibly socially complex animals and they have these tightly bonded um, social groups, family units. And when the roundups occur, these families are just broken apart. And it's it's horrifying to watch at the roundup. And I mean, I know you've seen it, Amy, but the minute they hit the trap, that's the end. Their freedom and their family is gone. And the mares are removed from the stallions, foals are removed from mares, and you can hear them screaming for each other, and it's just awful. And then they do, they'll release some horses, but with no regard for social groups um, and families, and they release them out there alone. I mean, I think a stallion has a better chance, frankly, of, of surviving on the range. I've seen the BLM release mares, like, I think maybe six mares with tiny foals in the winter all alone, no stallions to protect them in areas where there are predators and no follow-up to know how those animals survived. So there's very little regard given to the horses as individuals and social animals that have these tight bonds with other horses. They don't consider that at all, and it is tragic. And I I did see Carol's photo, and it's haunting, you know, because this area in Wyoming where they're doing the roundup, local people have told us, yeah, it was my Sunday morning. My family and I don't go to church, but every Sunday morning we'd come out here to see the wild horses, and now they're gone. We can't find any wild horses. So when you see that lone stallion on the landscape, it's just, it's heartbreaking. And, you know, it's just got to change. 
You're listening to Valley Voices and an interview with Suzanne Roy, Executive Director of the American Wild Horse Campaign, on the 50th anniversary of the Wild Free Roaming Horses and Burroughs Act. You say it has to change, and I have heard that for, I mean, I've been reporting on this issue since 2006. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it, it seems to be, you know, two steps forward, one step back, sometimes two steps forward, two steps back, as in the path forward. But recently, mm-hmm. a paper was published in the journal Nature Communications. Mm-hmm. Researchers from Canada and the U.S. have found that DNA records from permafrost in the Yukon show that the horse could very well be native to North America. Your thoughts? Have you heard of this research? Oh, yeah. Okay. And we've actually supported other research that's demonstrating this as well at um, UCD Santa Cruz Paleogenomics Lab. And basically, they're comparing the DNA of the horse that disappeared here on this continent, you know, anywhere from, I guess that research shows maybe seven, five to 7,000 to 10,000 years right. ago to the DNA of the modern horse and the research we funded that included wild mustangs. And they're showing that it's the same lineage of horse that went locally extinct here. When it went extinct in North America, it was locally extinct, not globally extinct. And when the Spanish came and brought the horse back, they were returning a native species to the um, habitat where it evolved. And so amongst paleontologists and people who specialize in species evolution and species extinctions, the horse is absolutely considered a native, reintroduced North American wildlife species. And the recent research that you're talking about shows that the horse was here far longer than previously thought, you know, maybe 5,000 years longer than previously thought. And there is, you know, oral history in the Native American tradition that says the horse was always here, right? And maybe that's not the current view of the paleontologist, but you never know. Maybe more evidence will be found that the horse was always here. But right now, We know the horse went locally extinct here several thousand years ago, but came back with the Spanish, and it's reintroduced North American wildlife species. Well, Ross McPhee, who is one of the uh, researchers on this project based in the U.S. at the American Museum of Natural History, he said, quote, The horse that lived in the Yukon 5,000 years ago is directly related to the horse species we have today, Equus caballus. Biologically, he says, this makes the horse a native North American mammal, and it should be treated as such, end quote. Right. The BLM still refers to Mustangs as feral, which denies them status as endangered species. That's right. How do you think these recent findings could change that? I think they will begin to change that label that's been put on the horses. Because Dr. McFeed says another thing that's really important. He says that 
the term feral describes the relationship between a human and the species, right? But it has no biological significance. So the fact that the horse that was returned here came from domesticated animals, it's a reintroduction that's biologically no different than the panther who went to South America, went locally extinct here, and came back on its own. It's biologically meaningless. It's a term that describes a human's relationship to the species. So I think research like this is going to start tipping away at the significance of that term feral and the use of that term feral to uh, paint the horses as these invaders and pests that need to be controlled. And there's other emerging research also about the role that wild equids and large grazers like wild equids are playing in certain ecosystems. There was a paper published in um, Science this year about burrows and well digging, that burrows are making water available in the desert that's promoting biodiversity in the desert. There's similar research that shows that is happening with horses. So I think the combination of this research that shows the horse as a native species and the research that's showing the place in the ecosystem, the services these horses provide, I I think those together are going to change how we view wild horses long-term. But I think it's going to take time because, you know, it's almost like generational. There's some very non-scientific but very strong felt beliefs in certain sectors of the scientific community that the horse is non-native. And it's, it's hard to change those deeply held attitudes, but I think it will happen over time. One last question, Suzanne Roy. What's next for American Wild Horse Campaign as we head into the the beginning of the next 50 years of the Wild Horse and Burrow Act? You know, we're fairly hopeful that we're going to see some change. My motto has been for this year, it had to get bad before it got better. So this was a very hard year for Wild Horse and Burrows. Over 17,000 lost their freedom. We saw a lot of Roundup abuses. We are tracking federally protected horses going to slaughter every day. And it's bad. But as awareness grows of how bad it is for wild horses, so does the support for changing the system. And so we've seen real growth on Capitol Hill in terms of the number of legislators that are willing to not just say they want change to the BLM program, but actually require it. Um, And just this week, I think 69 members of the House and Senate sent a letter to the Appropriations Committee calling for inclusion of language to require BLM to spend money on fertility control. The language would divert a third of the funds that are being requested for roundups away from roundups to fertility control. So we're seeing increasing support in Congress to require change, and we're seeing increasing numbers of wild horse advocates getting involved. 
We've added over 100,000 people to our supporter base this year. There is a building public opposition to the current approach. And at the same time, we have the first confirmed BLM director in almost six years taking the helm of uh, the agency. And so there's a real opportunity there for leadership to make some changes. And so our priorities are going to be um, continuing our field work to support fertility control programs, humane management programs for local herds, and to continue our program to show that fertility control is a humane way to manage wild horses and keep them free on the range. We're focusing a lot of our efforts on Capitol Hill and looking toward potential standalone legislation, oversight hearings, and then we are going to be, again, putting a lot of attention to and resources behind public awareness and education campaigns. We face a very powerful lobbying interest that is trying to get rid of the horses. The Cattlemen's Lobby, the the American Farm Bureau, these are some of the biggest lobbies in the Congress. And the only way that we can counter that is with the power of the people. So we have to get bigger and stronger, and we have been, and we have to continue to do that and demanding change. Then the last piece of it is supporting science, and we have been collaborating with many of the scientists working on the issues we discussed, supporting science and technology to better manage the horses and understand their role in the environment. Well, Suzanne Roy, director of the American Wild Horse Campaign, thank you so much for your work and for taking the time out of your busy day to talk with me. Oh, thank you, Amy. Appreciate it very much. Thanks for listening to Valley Voices. I'm Amy Haddon-Marsh.